This is The Guardian. I'm Jane Lee, and this is Campaign Catch-Up. It's Thursday, the 21st of April. Today, Guardian Australia's political editor, Catherine Murphy, is here to talk about the future of the National Disability Insurance Scheme. But first, here's what happened today. Prime Minister Scott Morrison and Labor leader Anthony Albanese rehashed their greatest hits from their first debate on Sky News from the night before. Albanese won that debate, but since it was on cable TV, it was only watched by 175,000 people. Prime Minister Scott Morrison was still smarting from attacks on his leadership since Solomon Islands signed a security pact with China on Tuesday. Morrison refused to say whether Labor was right and the government was first warned about the agreement last year, or whether Pacific Minister Zed Zeselger was right and the government only found out about it when a draft agreement was leaked earlier this year. Instead, he said they'd always been aware of the risk of a deal and that Labor was just taking China's side instead of defending Australia. Have they backed the Australian government in standing up for Australia? Or have they run the talking points? Have they run the lines of those who are seeking to criticise Australia for the important decisions that we've taken in our national interest? The PM was repeatedly challenged for arguing that Labor was working against Australia's national interest in language that politicised national security during the election. You say they're on China's side. If they're critical of anything your government does in this space, you say, well, you must be on China's side. Is that, is that your argument? Well, Andrew, let me put it to you. Do you think the relationship with China and the fact that they have imposed trade... Mm-hmm. Earlier this year, when you and other ministers made similar comments about China, the head of ASIO said politicising national security is, quote, not helpful. So why did you repeat that comment when our national security agencies are saying it is not helpful, it's doing Australia a disservice. Hmm. Well, see, when you're Prime Minister, you're running the government. Um, Public servants don't run the government. Prime Ministers and their ministers run governments. And I chair the National Security Committee, and I've done so for a very long time. Anthony Albanese acknowledged that Beijing would be a problem for whoever took government after the election. We have to recognise what's happening in the region. We have to recognise that China is more forward-leaning, that they're seeking to increase their influence in the region and we need to respond to that. We have to call out uh, the behaviour of China in putting sanctions against Australian businesses because that sanctions against Australian jobs. The Prime Minister was also dealing with the fallout from an exchange he'd had with a member of the audience at the debate the night before. I have a four-year-old autistic son. We are grateful to receive funds through the NDIS but I've heard many stories of people having their funds cut recently under the current government, including our own. I've been told to give my son the best future I should vote Labor. Can you please tell me what the future of the NDIS looks like under your government? Well, thank you, Catherine. What's your son's name? Ethan. Ethan, he's four. Jenny and I have been blessed. We've got two children that don't, haven't had to go through that. And so for parents with children who are disabled, I can only try and understand. The PM started the day arguing that his opponents had twisted and politicised his words, but eventually Morrison apologised in full. Look, I meant no offence by what I said last night, but I accept that it has caused offence. I think people would also appreciate that I would have had no such intention of suggesting that anything other than every child is a blessing is true. Every single child 
is precious. Coming up, political editor Catherine Murphy joins me on the NDIS. Hey, Murph. Have you got a lot on today? A uh, bit busy, Jane. How are you going? Just, just a bit. Just a bit. <laughs> I'm okay. That's good. I'm okay. Good. Um, just getting through the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, Murph, for your sins, I know you watched the leaders' debate last night. What went through your mind at that moment when you saw the PM tell Catherine, the mother of a boy with autism, that he and his wife were blessed that, quote, we have two children that haven't had to go through that? I thought, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Step back from the landmine, I thought, mm. but uh, but too late. Uh, the word the word and the description was out there, and as you've said, Jane, obviously this was in response to a question from a woman who has an autistic son, and they had had a reduction in their support package under the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Now, you know, funnily enough. The Prime Minister, I think, was attempting to be empathetic and respectful in the way that he bowled that up. What I think he was trying to do was not assume that he understood the nature of this family's experience. But the minute the the observation came out in that way, people were going to be angry. Mm. People were going to be offended and they were going to, you know, we, we were going to see the reaction that we saw almost in real time and then overnight into this morning, culminating with the Australian of the Year and very prominent disability advocate Dylan Alcott saying publicly on social media to, to Scott Morrison, I feel blessed to be disabled. Yeah. And all I really want in a dialogue with the rest of the community is equality, choice and opportunity. Mm. And so it was It was always going to land that way and that's how it landed. Mm. I mean, Murph, you've observed Scott Morrison over many years now. What does it tell us about him that it took some time for him to fully apologise for those comments today? Yeah, well, it's sort of the personality really, isn't it? It's sort of when criticised, his initial response is always sort of set your jaw and dig in. It's just what he does. It's how he responds to these things, particularly if he thinks there's sort of an element of theatrics about about the response, if he thinks it's sort of, you know, a, a kind of moral panic beaten up by his opponents or some sort of a, a backlash on social media, then he will particularly dig in and set his jaw against, you know, against the critique. Uh, This morning, he sort of showed every sign of doing that. He started uh, with an interview on 2GB with the uh, radio host, uh, Ray Hadley, where he basically said those things. Look, you know, I didn't, I obviously didn't mean any disrespect, but surely people understand what I was trying to say there. Uh, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Then in the period between speaking to Ray Hadley in the electorate of Longman and arriving for a campaign uh, stop in another electorate, the Prime Minister must have had a conversation with Dylan Alcott because he foregrounded that in his press conference today. And by that stage, I think the Prime Minister had made a judgment. There's a genuine campaign bushfire rolling now. Uh, 
and there is only one option for me and that's to fall on it with my entire body weight and basically apologize in in you know with no weasel words or or self-justification he basically said i was trying to do right but i did wrong and i understand that now and i'm sorry for it and his objective now is obviously just moving the caravan past it mm. I mean, the substance, going back to the substance of Catherine's question, though, last night, that question was actually about the future of the NDIS. She said that her son's funding, and she knew many others' funding, had recently been cut. So what's the state of the NDIS now? Yeah, well, this is a really live and legitimate issue out in the community because obviously this is still a relatively new scheme. Uh, It's had a lot of demand, as you would expect. It's the first of its type in the country. And so uh, people have, have basically rushed to access the services on offer. What we know is the user experience in the NDIS is not great. It's very bureaucratic and difficult and impersonal for a lot of families and users. And also there is a debate, a growing debate, obviously, about the sustainability of the scheme in fiscal terms because of, because of the growth Uh in the scheme. So we're sort of at a stage, I guess, in the in the policy debate about the NDIS that both sides of politics are committed to the scheme. Labor is pointing to a review, a comprehensive review, to look at both the user experience and presumably the sustainability of the scheme. And the coalition is sort of setting up this drumbeat of you know, we really like this scheme and you can only trust us to pay for it because, you know, there's exponential growth in the scheme. We've got to have a talk about how viable this is over the longer term, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I mean, as you say, Labor's promised if they're elected to institute a review. We know on the other side, the coalition's been saying for some time now that the scheme is growing at a rate that's just unsustainable. And so, What could the future of the NDIS look like under a coalition government, do you think? Well, I think the government has been setting up for some time the idea that uh, the states will need to kick into this scheme more than they currently uh, are doing. I think the Minister, Linda Reynolds, has set up a proposition where the government wants to look at pricing of services within the scheme because the price of services being delivered under the NDIS is higher than similar services being delivered for veterans and and other benefit recipients. So I think despite the fact that Scott Morrison says literally every five minutes we're totally committed to this scheme, he references a a family connection with the scheme, Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about it, I support it. Equally present, though, is this sense that the axe is going to fall. Now, the majority of the audience in last night's debate, 40%, said that Albanese won the debate, 35% were in favour of Morrison, and the rest were undecided. Yep. We're, we're coming to the end of this second week of a six-week-long <laughs> campaign. How are the two leaders positioned now on the campaign, in your view? Yes, well, it was. I think all Anthony Albanese wanted to do in the first leaders' debate was crawl or clamber, I should say, clamber to a point of equivalence with his opponent. That was what he wanted to do psychologically and practically. Obviously, Jane, hardly anyone watched this debate. <laughs> I think it I think it rated less than Gogglebox or maybe more than Gogglebox. <laughs> I can't remember exactly what the figure was. But anyway, look, not many people watched it. Debates don't move the dial. In the 2019 election, I think Bill Shorten from memory won the debates now and he obviously lost the election. So these things at the end of the day don't necessarily 
portend anything or mean anything. Yeah. But what Albanese wanted to do was to assert himself as being a putative prime minister, to conduct himself in that clash with his opponent, looking as though he had command of the detail and looking as though he ought to be there. That's which is a sort of it's important in a campaign where Scott Morrison is basically telling Australians this is his pitch, right? Better stick with me, the devil you know, because that guy, he's not up to it. So in that sense, I guess it's a bit of a campaign milestone, Jane, because if we think about it over these two weeks, obviously Anthony Albanese had a very difficult start, but as the days have gone on, the Prime Minister is being shadowed constantly by his record as Prime Minister. So, look, I think the polls tell us the contest is very finely balanced at this point. It's not a national narrative campaign, this one. Uh, It's a mud fight. It's a scrappy, scrappy, seat-by-seat mud fight. This is not vaulting ideas and and one particular issue that, 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 that the whole pony show hangs around. This is just a bunch of brawls in a bunch of marginal seats and at the end there will be a winner and a loser. And right at the moment it, it feels very evenly, finely balanced. Thanks so much for your time, Matt. No worries. That's your campaign catch-up for today. And for more of Murph's analysis, you have a couple of options. On Full Story today, you can hear Murph's trip to Tasmania, where she met several people who couldn't name the Labor leader. Prior to this conversation of me saying Anthony Albanese to you, would you have known who the Labor leader was? Oh, absolutely not. And if you go to the Australian Politics Podcast, you can hear Murph analyse the latest Guardian Essential poll, which seems to indicate that undecided female voters could be the deciding factor in this election. This episode was produced by Rob Caldor and me, Jane Lee. The executive producers are Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. Our theme music was made by Martin Peralta. See you tomorrow.